Owner-operator Scott Hampton was right when we talked a couple weeks into November that the first week of December marked the last load of poinsettia seed haul out of the Council Bluffs, Iowa, Dallas Johnson greenhouse operation. Well, I imagine he's on that load today or has moved it already. Hampton, regular readers of Overdrive will be aware of for his 2000 Peterbilt 379 whose bottom-up restoration the owner-operator finished up with the Majestic Truck Services outfit in Altoona, Iowa back this spring. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, you're in for a wide-ranging conversation with Hampton about the business dedicated to the shipper greenhouse and making multi-drop reefer and dry van runs to stores mostly south of his Iowa home base, lately anyway. About the truck, too, which I saw this past October parked on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., where Hampton participated in That's Big Ten Four on D.C., Hampton's rig, too, you may have seen in a picture taken by owner-op Brian Bushnell at the far end of a line of six rigs that stopped traffic momentarily on I-95 as the group convoyed out from the National Mall after the event. Turns out, well, there's a pretty interesting story there, too. Here's Hampton. Yeah, yeah, been keeping busy and hauling, cool. hauling my flowers and just, uh, just finished up down here in Oklahoma City with a load of poinsettias, and I'm headed back to Council Bluffs, so northbound on 35. Reef the poinsettias, we run reefers, um, yep. so they got to go right inside, so it's cold, cold enough down here that it's, they got to go inside, but other yeah. than that, the, the mums, you know, after, after we got back from D.C., uh, we started hauling mums, and those can go on, you know, fans or, you know, for reefers. We've got both. Uh, that, uh, with lift gates on them that we can unload at stores. They're mainly Lowe's and Menards is where we deliver our, our flowers to. So, you're and you're running you're running doing that for a broker? Uh, no, I haul direct. I haul direct okay. for uh, the, the greenhouse. Dallas jo- Dallas Johnson Greenhouse is out of Council Bluffs is is who I haul for. So, loaded both ways or? Nope. Uh, like right, I just uh, unloaded my. I had eight drops, and uh, got all them off, and we just we go back empty. If if there's right. empty carts, you know we the flowers go out on carts on metal carts with wheels. Yep. And uh, if there's any empty ones to pick up, then we grab those. But we had come. He'd sent two of us down a couple of weeks ago, and we just drive around and pick up empty carts at all the stores, fill up the trailers. You know, we can hold 26 that, you know, that they put in there. But when we got to mm-hmm. break them down, um, I had 100 on. So we, we break them down and we make room for as many as we can. So, yeah, my guy, he was just calling to see me. I, we're, it's starting to slow down right now. So he had a short one to do tomorrow and right there in Omaha and Council Bluffs that I'll probably do. But he said I don't have to make a decision till in the morning. So I think last year... I hauled my last load of poinsettias the first week of December, so okay. I'll have he'll have a couple of next week, and then a couple of weeks, the uh, couple of that first week of December, and then yeah, that then we'll be done until they're saying middle of February is when they start hauling um, hauling out um, in the middle okay. of February down to Oklahoma. So I would have been. That- part of that last year that my truck didn't get done until april 15th so i I missed out on about eight weeks of work 
um, <laughs> waiting for my truck to get its facelift done. So, how long have you been hauling for uh, the greenhouse? I start a year a year ago May. A friend of mine had I'd been hauling my own, pulling my own hopper, doing commodities and stuff, and a buddy of mine told me about them, and I went over and I got on their list, and it started out a little bit slow, you know, but once he figured out me and my work ethic and you know and everything else i i moved to the top of the list and pretty quick and he yeah. likes me and <laughs> yeah, and that's good. um i've I, i've worked myself into the number two slot so cool. it uh makes me feel pretty good that i get along with him and he takes good care of me and i take good care of him so it's the way it's supposed to work right it certainly is a testament to uh your ability to Stay on top of everything, and it's got to be got to be tough to kind of jump into a, a foreign situation like that and uh, immediately uh, get a handle on everything. But you've been doing this a long time, I know. Yeah, thirty thirty eight years I've been in it in one yeah. way or another. And I, I mean, I started doing multi stop stuff, uh, distribution type. So I've always kind of thrived on that. Um, you know, especially hauling direct for somebody. You know, he he tells me, you know, hey, here's pick a pick one of these loads X, Y, or Z, and then all I got to do is go do my thing. He doesn't want to have to babysit me, and he doesn't have to, and and yep. I don't have to deal with brokers and and backhauls and reloads, and I just go do my thing, and they pay me by the mile, and and it's it's very fair. I make real good money with what I do, and uh, like I said, just like I said, I left yesterday afternoon made eight drops around the Tulsa area and Oklahoma city. And now I'm headed back and, you know, just, uh, it, it's nice. It suits me, you know, they pay for all miles or I imagine. Yeah. Odom odometer yeah. miles and they don't care which way we go. I mean, uh, I'm smart enough and use enough sense. I'm not going to go a hundred miles out of my route, you know, to just to be yeah. fair on miles, but they, um, yeah, if we're going, 30 miles, 40 miles, you know, just whatever's easiest for us. They pay for the tolls. Even if I'm on the turnpike, they pay for the tolls. So it's a, it's a pretty fair, pretty fair wage that I get. Um, it's, um, I, I, I found a home. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, sure. Sure. And, and they're growing, they're growing. They're adding more stores on in, in, um, in um, Missouri and uh, they're just, they're growing. So the, the fact if I can keep myself in the number two spot, the only way that I can be number one is if the number one guy that's been there for 12 years, uh, and I cannot work this guy. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to work him, and he, he's always got his leg up on me. And, uh, uh, but, you know, if he moved on to something else, and he's not going to move on to anything. I mean, it's, 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 a, pretty, it's a pretty good setup for, for guys that are, you know, willing to do multi-drop stuff. Or, or yep. break down the cages that gets to be physical you know as long as my health uh, allows me to do this I will continue to ride this flower gravy train you know to <laughs> as long as I can fringe benefits of taking the unload lead on the business and multi-drop hauls Hampton keeps the joints and cardiovascular system well greased and makes a little money while he's doing it compensation amounts to around 20 an hour when he's unloading he says that continues a fitness regime he's stuck to through the years, even went on longer hauls requiring less day-to-day -day physical activity. 
I've always tried, always tried to do that, even when I was running the West Coast and stuff. I would try to take time to go out for a walk, a jog, and you know, a treadmill. And the, you know, the TAs and the pet shows have got their little exercise rooms, and you know, I try to take advantage of it at least once or twice a week. You know, somehow, some way. And, um, mm-hmm. This this helps. I get paid to do it, this stuff now, so <laughs> if it if it takes me an hour or two to break down some cards and I get paid, I make it makes it works out to be like a hundred dollars an hour when I'm doing it, or, or twenty dollars an hour when I break it down cards. So, right. uh, you know, and I'm, I'm getting some exercise, get paid to do it, and right. I tell you, yeah. the older, I mean, I'm only fifty five. There's a lot of guys older than me, but it's it's tougher and tougher to try to stay in shape the older that we get. You know, it's not yeah. as easy as it used to be. <laughs> Hampton's been an owner-operator for about five years, following decades of driving otherwise. After the FMCSA changed their policy around the determining factor for just which trucks and their operators would be able to claim an ELD mandate exemption based on model year, in mid-2017 guidance shifted to the engine year instead of the truck chassis year, you'll remember. That shift sealed the deal for Hampton's plans for his 2000 379, powered by a 1999 build Detroit Series 60. I bought this 2000 379 uh, September of 2013, and uh, it was a one-owner truck that I got to talk to the old man that bought it originally and had the original build sheet on it. He took real good care of it, and we got to visit. He was kind of happy that I got it just by the conversations that we'd had and met in person that he kind of had a gut feeling that I might take pretty good care of it over the next few years. So well, I rebuilt the motor in 15. It's a 12.7, 500. Mechanically, the truck had been gone through what he had done. I had redone and redone and redone everything mechanical, uh, uh, clutch, ECM, rebuild on the motor and in frame. and fuel lines and just everything mechanical on the truck and kind of didn't want to ever get rid of the truck. I mean, when I bought it, I thought it was going to be a one-time deal for me. But when the ELD came into a place and the truck's exempt, it's got a 99 Detroit in it, that kind of made my decision that I was going to just take it one more step and just do a restoration on it, I guess you'd call it. I dropped it off. The two days before Christmas last year, 2017, and I picked it up April 15th. Majestic Truck and Body in Altoona, Iowa, they did everything to the truck that, that okay. we had. Well, I take that back. The interior was uh, subbed out, uh, had the interior redone, and it was subbed out to a guy um, right there in Des Moines. And Classic Auto Works is who did the interior on it. And okay. um, everything else... They um, they did right there. I put new frame rails on it. Um, yeah. The sleeper, I I scored the sleeper from them. I get it. Kind of this goes back, I guess, to a year ago. I I got hit by a deer on my birthday, March 28th. Would have been two years ago. Okay. And I was out there talking to them about you know doing the body work on the truck and getting things fixed and whatnot and they the, the sleeper had had some some pretty severe damage on it the guy said to you would you be interested in a sleeper I, 63 inch flat top 
I said, well, yeah, it depends. And he walks me into this Quonset building where they do their sandblasting, and they're sat at 2013 63-inch uh, flat-top slipper with a window in the back of it. Had been sitting there for over a year in that. And they wanted it gone, and the guy that had it apparently wasn't trying real hard to sell it. And and I had been looking for one, um, and anywhere between five and eight thousand dollars for two thousand, two thousand four, six, you know, flat top, sixty-three inch flat tops. And I looked at it, measured it, went to Peterbilt. They said, yeah, it'll work. You know, you might have to change a little bit of wiring or something like that, but there's no reason why it shouldn't work. And I called the guy that owned it, and he said, I said, hey, you, here you got a sleeper for sale. And and he said, um, yeah, uh, 15, uh, 1,500. I said, 1,500 or 15,000? It was at Peterbilt in Des Moines in Altoona when I called the guy, and I said, I tell you what, I got $1,000 cash in my pocket right now. He's an hour away. I said, I'll drive up there, and I'll buy that sleeper. And he, he asked me if I'd seen it. I said, yep, I already talked to Peterbilt. We know it'll work um, on my 2000 And he goes, no, I'll tell you what. Give me give me 1250 and you can put a check in the mail. I bought that 2013 sleeper that they they had bought a Fitzgerald glider and, and and day capped it six months after they bought it. And the guy okay. that was driving the truck never slept in the truck. The sleeper had never yeah. been slept in. <laughs> I was like, okay, that was the deal of, of the century for me. <laughs> like I said, I priced out a 2004 for eight grand. And I yeah. turned around and sold my sleeper that was damaged for $1,300. <laughs> And so, needless to say, the I got the, the got the sleeper from Majestic through the guy that, and um, so, mm -hmm. so we had talked. We started talking about you know, okay, doing this, doing this, and I went back and forth on the frame rails and mine were you know, I'm going to keep it. The truck's got a million eight on it. Uh, you know, if I'm going to keep this truck and I want it to last me a long time, what's it going to cost me to put frame rails? Have it you know, basically totally redone. We right. agreed on a number and I started buying a bunch of parts for it and you know, all the stainless that came from four states and the fenders and, and uh the frame rails came from PG Adams up in Maine or Massachusetts or somewhere over there on the East Coast. PG Adams is up there. That's where the frame rails came from. And sure. they um they commenced to put it to put it together for me. So they had never done a full truck restaurant like that, had they? I think you told me. Not that. at one time. Not at one time. Okay. They they had done frame rails. Um, they have painted yeah. a lot of trucks, but yeah. never had they taken under such a project as, you know, taking the frame rail. I mean, it was putting a yeah. sleeper on and you know switching, and in the process, I didn't make any changes to it other than as we got into the cab the the cab cap the roof cap was bad mm. enough that they we put a new roof cap on a fiberglass roof cap on it uh i put new fiberglass front fenders on the hood um the cab corners here were crusted out bad enough that they you know we put those are new 
So the truck was sitting there on one frame rail while the first one was getting dr drilled out. They didn't want to jerk both of them out at the same time. So it sat there on one frame rail and all all the tr all it was sitting there was just the firewall, the glass was out of it. So the the dash was intact and the floor was intact and the doors were on it and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at that thing and said, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? So, but as it started and it took, they, they originally guessed eight to eight to 10 weeks is what it was going to take to do this project. And I said, okay, I'll give you 12, you know, give you a couple. Well, we got to 12 and it wasn't getting done. And so it took them five, six weeks to 12 it ended up being 16 weeks total is what it took them to do it. Uh, you know, but I didn't want to push it. You know, I was getting antsy to go to work, needless to say. It was costing me revenue every every week that went by that, uh, you know, I wasn't out making money. But in, you know, hindsight, it was, I wasn't going to push them to just half-ass it, you know. They did a great job. I was happy with it, you know, and it turned out looking pretty cool. So. I was, I was happy with the with everything. So, yeah, still got the same uh, paintwork on it that was originally on it. Same design. It, 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 no, no, that was one thing. It, it, okay. it had the colors. The colors are the the tan is a little shade different, a little more metallic in it, and the green. It had a green roof cap on the uh, cab and sleeper, and yeah. uh, the tanks were painted green and the fenders were painted green. But there's only one stripe, one solid stripe from the front all the way to the back, about six inches. Um, and I, I, I knew that I had wanted two stripes somehow, some way. I kept going through pictures and, you know, designs of what I wanted. And I found a truck that was actually um, four states. I don't know if four states painted it, but it was silver and red. And it was in one of the shows and I saw it in a magazine and it, it mm -hmm. was my design that I ended up with. His, his was silver with the red stripes. And, but we tweaked, we kind of, it's not exactly the same. My bottom stripe is a little smaller. The, the, okay. or the, the center one. And then we pinstriped around my bottom stripe. Uh, so we changed it up a little bit, you know, um, to, so it wasn't exactly the same, but the concept came from that truck. Um, okay thought it was kind of unique now i have found out that there is another truck that the colors and the paint scheme are almost identical to mine okay um yeah i mean the green's a little greener and the the tan is probably the original peterbilt mocha curls and mine's a little lighter but the paint that's the identical paint scheme to what the wow. stripes and everything uh, somebody said that they saw me somewhere up in Iowa, close to where I live. I said, no, no dude, that wasn't me. I knew I was in Wyoming, you know. I, well, you were pulling, I swear it was your truck. You were pulling a flatbed. No, I don't pull a flatbed, and no, it wasn't me. I wasn't anywhere near there. The truck doppelgangers are out there for nearly everyone, I suppose. Reminds me of my time in Chicago when I would hear from people on the far north side who supposedly saw me on the train up there. I was never that far up on the north side, of course, but... I always wondered what might happen if I actually met this supposed number two me up there. In any case, I asked Hampton whether I was right and that in fact it was his truck, 
and not his truck's doppelganger. I saw on the right shoulder of I-95 in that now somewhat infamous picture of 10-4 DC participants stopping traffic there. Well, he said, indeed it was. When we left DC, um, I was originally supposed to be, you know, I was parked in the middle, and yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna follow out the second row, the first row, and then Ruben would follow up the end. But they had Mike Landis had me pull up and block the traffic so that that first row uh, went out, left, you know. And, they, and I said, and I talked to, I was talking to Mike. I said, Mike, I'm just gonna stay here. There's no sense in me moving. So. I just stayed there, so I was the tail truck of when we pulled out of D.C. And we got on the 395, everything was cool, and we decided to be in the left lane. Uh, just thought that would be the spot to be, you know, just get in the left lane and do our thing and get out of town. And not two minutes after we had all gotten in the left lane and we were rolling along, yeah, I look in my rear view mirror, and there's a state patrol back there. Lights, he was coming up pretty hard, and lights were flaring, and, and he's pointing to the left shoulder, and I didn't know where he wanted me. I'd started to move into the center lane, and he's adamant about me getting on the shoulder there and the left up against the concrete barrier. I said, oh, so I, so I pull over, and I, I've got Mike Landis on the phone, and I holler on the radio that I just got pulled over, and course some of the guys start screaming no just just don't stop don't stop I said, well that doesn't seem like a very good idea but state patrolman's trying to pull me over i'm just gonna abide by the rules here so i pull over and i get out of the truck and by the time i get back to the drive tires and meet him at the drive tires there's a second state patrolman behind him and there's a third one on the northbound side just like that there's three state patrolmen i come from nowhere and of course everybody else kept going i'm the only one that stopped <laughs> and um they asked me what we're doing i told them because you can't be in the left lane and and i said i know we we just thought he said no no commercials and you guys need to be in the right lane and he said their phones were just blowing up just uh, people were calling in left and right. right and he goes you know i could write you a bunch of tickets right now i said i know that please don't <laughs> just like that <laughs> And, and he didn't. He just told me. I, he goes, you got the guy in the front? I said, yep. I said, you guys. He had actually recommended that we pull into the scale house up there and just get reorganized. Uh, Mike said that they were already in the right lane and they were, you know, just they were going to wait for me to catch up, just roll along. And um, so officer said, you guys be cool, be safe, just get in the right lane, behave yourself, um, you know, and, and get on down to the fairgrounds. Of course, he asked us where we were going. We told him. And he said, he, they didn't know that we were coming out of D.C. I said, well, that's – somebody dropped the ball on your end because I know that they called somebody and said, hey, we're leaving D.C. So he didn't get the message. He didn't get the memo. Um, right. He wished that somebody would have told him that we were that we were leaving. They would have helped escort us out. But so be it, it. It didn't turn out that way. So we shook hands. He sent us on our way. So I'm – at this point, I'm six or seven miles behind him, you know, and I can kind of hear him real faint on the – the radio and and uh, I'm catching up I'm catching up they're going you know I'm running speed limit well in the meantime that's when they did the first stop immediately after he turned me loose and I'm out of radio range that's when they did the first stop on 395 and yes. the reason they did it was the traffic came to a stop 
so when the traffic started rolling again, they just didn't move. They just sat there for a little bit longer, took a couple pictures, yada, yada, yada. I didn't know about that one on 395 until we got back to the fairgrounds. So I'm catching up to them. I hear them on the radio, and I decided to get – I kept looking for signs, and I decided to get into the express lane because I didn't see any signs that said I wasn't supposed to be there. So I got an express lane, so I figured I'd catch up to him. And I find out later, Brian uh, Bushnell from Virginia told me, nah, that wasn't a good idea. You're lucky. <laughs> so, so as I'm coming up on him in the express lane, and I'm, I'm starting to see him kind of spread out a little bit, they weren't in single file in the right lane. They were kind of sporadic all over the place. And that's when I see Joe Denny pull in the middle and stop. So this is, to me, this is the first time they've done that. I didn't because okay. I didn't know about the first one. So I'm like, okay, these guys are going to get this out of their system, and all right, they're doing their thing. And by the time I got past them, got back over in the travel lanes, and I got over on the right shoulder, and I was just had my four ways on. I was just going real slow, waiting for them yeah. to catch back up. Traffic wasn't too heavy, you know, and they start kind of coming up there, and that's. When they, as they catch up to me, they go back into all four lanes again. So I'm on the right shoulder there. And then the sixth guy, Ron, pulls up on the inside left shoulder and they decide to stop again. And I, and if you look at that picture, my door is standing open and I'm at standing at Brian Raze's blue Peterbilt door. And if you see that picture and then you listen to the video that Todd, the set, the second video that Todd Campbell posted, you'll okay. hear Brian saying, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Everybody get in the right lane because I had just got done telling him that the cops warned us not to do this and we need to behave ourselves the rest of the way down to the fairgrounds. And then Brian hollered on the radio. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. So, I was not disappointed with what because it was it was harmless. It was two second photo op. I, from my point of view, I was a little bit more uptight about it because I had gotten pulled over and told not to do what they just got done doing. So I was a little bit more adamant about guys, we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. So, like I said, then we get back to the fairgrounds and I find out that that's not the second. It was actually they did it three different times. So, again, all harmless. None of the people behind them had a clue of what was going on. They just thought it would stop traffic for whatever reason. They'd had no, nobody was, I mean, the cars, once we got into single file, the people going by and were videotaping us, uh, honking their horn, you know, everybody was, it was, they were loving it. They loved it. It was like when we left Walcott last October to go to Leesport, there was 26 of us that pulled out of there and did a convoy over to Leesport. You know, some guys had trailers, some of us didn't, but we all had flags and the thumbs ups and the, and the, and the honking and the, and the wave that it was such a cool feeling, you know, to have people recognize you, you know, normally we're just driving along. Nobody even knows we exist. You hang a flag and put a bunch of chicken lights on a truck and, you know, and, and drive with 26 other guys, you know, you, you get noticed, right? <laughs> and, every, and it was, nobody was flipping us off. Nobody, it, it was all in good, you know, it felt good, you know. 
even after they stopped, you know, and we're leaving, you know, and as we were leaving D.C. and, and you know, people with the video cameras and the... I reminded Hampton of the moment I'd witnessed out on the National Mall when the young boy jumped up into his peat and worked its horn, which you probably heard in the prior time. podcast. Yes, Hampton remains among the many out there who take special care when kids signal for a horn pull from a passing car. Still puts a smile on my face when they do that. I, I get a bigger kick out of kids wanting me to honk their horn or the moms trying to get their kids to, you know, you can see the mom telling the kid in the back seat to give them the arm pump there to honk the horn and then you, you blow your horn and I'm smiling ear to ear and, and the kids are giving you the thumbs up and the mom's giving you the thumbs up and it's 38 years of doing that and I still get a kick out of that still to this day makes my day every time they do that <laughs> such one-to-one interactions whether passing on the highway or at a truck show anywhere across America probably ultimately do as much for trucking generally as any protest action nonetheless Hampton and I agreed, I think, that the variety of individual efforts uh, of owner-operators and like-minded associations in D.C. have certainly caught the ear of the new leadership at FMCSA and higher at DOT. And, at least, it's likely to result in some positive change in the relatively short term. I wanted to give Martinez the opportunity, you know, the benefit of the doubt, if you will, you know, just, he seems like he wanted to reach out and do something and, and it continues to be mm. that way yeah mm. it's not for some people it's not happening fast as it, it should and, and the guys and gals at truckers nation and usta that have been doing their parts by meeting and, and you know talking yeah. and presenting they're doing a great job you know as has oida you know they're doing they continue yep. to do their part that it's you know it, so i i guess i i hope you know, I continue to hope that we get something out of all of the work and effort that we put into this, you know.